All right, APGov, welcome to the first uh, part of the review. This is on the branches of government. Remember, this test is uh, just the last two units, which is Unit 4, uh, the branches, so Congress, the President, the bureaucracy, and the Judicial Branch. And then um, the second part is Unit 5, which is the Civil Liberties and Civil Rights stuff. So uh, just remember, uh, that's what this is broken up. So, you know, obviously you need to know the stuff from Unit 1, Articles of Confederation, the Constitution Convention, all that kind of stuff, but it's not on this test. All right. All right. So let's get rolling. So um, the review is on E-Class if you like to have it in front of you. If you don't have your paper copy that I gave you, uh, there's a, a digital copy there. So feel free to, to get it and follow along, whatever you want to do. Uh, all right. So number one says, how can the president and Congress hold the bureaucracy accountable? So remember that the president is kind of in charge of the bureaucracy. The, you know, the end of the day, I shouldn't say kind of, the president is in charge. Now, it's a huge thing, and the president cannot really be over everything. So one of the big things the president has that allows them to keep the bureaucracy accountable is that the president gets to pick most of the, the, the department heads of most of the agencies. OK, there's no way that the president is going to keep an eye on every single employee of the federal government. It would just be impossible. So the president gets to pick the people that are going to, to be in charge of those agencies. Now, Congress, remember, their big thing is the uh, money. OK, they can control the budget of uh, of most agencies. And so. If you don't do something, if you're not doing what Congress likes, they can always mess with your budget. Now, they also have oversight uh, as another big one. Uh, but really, the easiest thing to do uh, is to threaten, hey, uh, we got you coming up for a budget review next year. Uh, we're going to cut your budget. And so that's something that can be, be, be done. All right. Number two, explain government corporations and independent executive agencies. Uh, let me take a step back. I should let you know that these first two questions are the table questions where you're going to have um, things in the first review question. Uh, you'll have presidential powers and you'll have congressional powers in columns and then you'll pick out the correct row. For here, you'll have government corporations in a column and independent executive agencies in a column and you got to pick out the correct answer. Okay, so the government corporation is a pretty simple one. Uh, that is where the whatever that we're talking about, Postal Service, the TVA, uh, whatever it might be, they do something that a private sector could do, okay? Um, and it used to be, you know, like the Postal Service probably was necessary back in the day. Uh, it's not really as necessary nowadays, but that's what a government corporation does. Uh, the independent executive agency, okay? Uh, first off, they are independent and they are going to kind of be outside of politics, uh, maybe the, the best way to say it. Um, they're really supposed to be nonpartisan. They're really not going to remember, not to try and confuse anybody, but remember there's the, also the regulatory groups, the regulatory commissions that can regulate, all right, uh, and, and kind of make policies and laws. These independent executive agencies don't really have that power in that piece, Okay. Number three, know the process of a bill becoming a law. Really fun, fun stuff. 
So very quickly, just to try and power through this, remember a bill is introduced by a member of the House or a member of the Senate, okay? Whichever side wants to, to get going, uh, eventually it will have to go to the other side, all right? But anybody in the House, anybody in the Senate can introduce a bill. It then will be referred to a committee, and that committee will have hearings on it, they will get information on it, and they will work on it. They'll do the markup session where they make changes to it potentially, and then they'll have a vote. It then goes to the full House or the full Senate for a, a debate and eventual vote. Uh, if it passes, it then goes to the other side and the process starts all over. And finally, if both sides can pass the same bill, it goes to the president. That is the ultra, ultra, ultra simplified version of how a bill becomes a law. Is there more to it? Yeah, there's a lot more to it. But uh, that's kind of the 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 quick very quick version of how <coughs> a bill becomes a law excuse me number four uh the differences between the house and the senate so remember the biggest difference is kind of in their rules all right uh the house is very very formal they're very rule oriented because there's so many people over there there's 435 or yeah 435 there's almost no way for them to just do they want to versus the Senate where the Senate only has the 100. So they don't have as many rules and laws and policies uh, when it comes to their, their lawmaking. Okay. So remember one of the big differences that, that, that leads to is the fact that the Senate has the filibuster because of their unlimited debate. Uh, so that's really the big thing. Now, a few of the other items that are, you're not going to see on the test, I don't think, but just, you know, um, the house, you have to be 25, the Senate, you have to be 30. There's 435 House members versus 100 senators, uh, two-year terms versus six-year terms, stuff like that. Uh, but the big thing is the, the rules and, and how it allows debate and doesn't allow a lot of debate. All right, number five, legislative checks on the executive branch. So what can the legislative branch do uh, to the president is what this, this, this question is basically, um, basically saying. Okay. Uh, remember the big one is impeachment. The, the president can be impeached by Congress. Uh, remember Congress can also override a veto. All right. Um, it's a big number and it doesn't happen all the time, but it is something they can do. All right. And then you got the advice and consent of the Senate. You know, all federal judges have to be approved by the Senate, all presidential appointments to ambassadorships and, um, 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 drawing blank, uh, department heads and things like that have to be approved by the Senate. So that advice and consent piece, those are probably the big ones. Number six, shared powers of the president and Congress over the bureaucracy. So another question similar to that first one there. Um, the, the big two, okay, uh, is the budget because remember the president and Congress work together on the budget. Uh, the president will submit a budget to Congress. Congress goes over it. They take it back to the president, and there's a back and forth thing there. So they both work on the budget. Uh, the other thing is the appointment. Remember, most of these positions will are not most, but all of them will be appointed by the president, and then the uh, Congress, the Senate specifically, will approve most of those positions. Not all of them. There's some that don't have to worry about it, but most of them will be. Okay. Number seven, uh, explain the nomination process of a Supreme Court justice all right so um 
whenever there's an opening, the president will go through and probably there's a, a list in Biden's drawers right now, you know, just in case something was to happen to one of the sitting members of the Supreme Court. Um, but they'll, once it becomes, okay, this is real. Someone has st- stepped down or resigned or passed away or whatever it might be. Uh, the president will get serious and they'll do a vetting. A vetting is just going through the background, uh, making sure, you know, this is a, a person. There's no skeletons in the closet that's going to embarrass me for, for nominating this person uh, and things like that. They will then send the name off to the Senate. It will then go to the Senate Judiciary Committee. The Senate Judiciary Committee will have hearings uh, on this individual. They will call them in for questioning. They will, you know, it, it's a drawn out process or can be a drawn out process. Once they have finished their piece, they will have a Judiciary Committee vote. If they vote favorably, then it goes to the uh, the full Senate. If it's um, if it's if it's not, then there's some issues that we have to would have to address. We're not going to worry about that because we're talking about uh, the approval. Uh, and then once it gets to the Senate, it's really just a, a simple majority. So you just need 51. Now that was lower. The Democrats lowered that threshold back. Uh, I can't remember the years, but they they lowered it uh, a while back with that unanimous consent stuff. Uh, that we had talked about in class. All right, number eight, the pocket veto. Remember, the pocket veto is very key, uh, or not key, but the timing is key. So anytime the Congress is going to go out of session, all right, for 10 days, uh, they have to to really think long and hard about what they're going to, to do with pieces of legislation. Because if they send a bill to the president with less than 10 days before they adjourn, uh, or whatever it might be, then they run the risk of the president just letting it sit on their desk and a bill will die just by nothing happening to it. Okay. Now this is really especially important at the end of a session because once they leave, once they go out of session, they have to start all over because the bill dies. And if it's not signed by the president, you know, they don't get to just take it back and say, okay, let's pick it up right here. They have to go through the whole process. And remember, there could be new people in office. There could be new people in the committees uh, that don't like this thing. And so a lot of things could happen. And that's why the bills really have to uh, kind of start over. Uh, yeah, uh, start over because there are going to be so many differences and so many changes uh, in Congress. Um, and so the pocket vetoes, it's not something the president can use often. You don't hear about it being used too often, uh, but it is uh, an option depending upon the timing of the bill. Number nine, pork barreling. So uh, remember, this is it's really any kind of pet project. And I, I say pet project, but any kind of thing that a congressperson can get that really only benefits their constituents. You know, and when I say their constituents, I mean in their state, in their district or whatever it might be. So maybe it's money. You know, maybe it's a grant. Uh, maybe it is a, a building project. Or, or something like that, that's really, you know, it's going to provide jobs and, and things like that for the, 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 the constituents, but it's really only going to benefit them. All right, number 10, executive agreements. Uh, remember, these are similar to executive orders. Don't get them confused. The agreements are foreign. They, they deal with the, the foreign uh, nations, the, the diplomacy, and they are ways that the president can get around uh, Senate approval. Remember, the president, if they sign a treaty, they have to get the Senate to sign off on it. Executive agreements get around that check, all right, and it allows them to do have a little more leeway 
with uh, with other countries. And, and this is part of the reason you don't hear about treaties too much anymore. They'll sign executive agreements because then they bypass the Senate and it, they don't have to really even worry about it not being approved. And remember, my favorite example is from World War One and the Treaty of Versailles that uh, we never signed because of the League of Nations. And Henry Cabot Lodge was like, no, we're not going to sign that thing. All right, number 11, committees. Explain the four types. All right, so first off, remember, the biggest chunk of work takes place in committees, all righty? Um, on a day-to-day -day basis, it's going to happen in the standing committee, all right? So the standing committee is where most of the work is going to take place. Um, they are going to uh, be responsible for all the bills, all the laws, uh, going through them. They're going to be responsible for oversight. They're going to work with the budget. They have a lot of things going on in these standing committees. Uh, and they're the permanent ones. They're the ones that are there. They're, you know, they're, they were here for this session in 2021, 20, 22. They'll be there when new sessions start in 23. Those standing committees are, are always there. All right. The next type is going to be the select committee. The select committee, you might also see it as a special committee. Uh, they are... Um, house specific so there could be a house select committee there could be a senate select committee all right so don't think that they're going to combine they don't combine efforts and things like that uh right now the january 6th thing that's going on is a house select committee since the republicans took control of the house that committee will not be around anymore uh, once the republicans officially take control in january of 23. uh but they do some kind of investigating you know, this this committee that's going on right now, they are investigating the January 6th stuff, right? Um, and so that's what they do is they investigate and then they report their findings. Uh, the next one is a joint committee. Now, a joint committee is a combo. You'll have House members and senators come together. And typically, this is going to be to report information. So the 9-11 report, I told you, was one of those joint committees where here's the information. We're going to give it to you. American people. And then the final one is the conference committee. And the conference committee, remember, is going to be the um, the one where it'll be another combo deal where the House and Senate will come together and they try and work out the differences. So if a bill passes the House and then it passes the Senate with a different version, they have to come together and try and work out those differences before it can go to the president. Uh, all right. Number 12, give examples of independent executive agencies. So my favorite of all time, just because I love the idea of space, I want to go to space. Um, I would leave tomorrow if I was allowed to, uh, is NASA. Okay. That's an independent executive agency. Uh, other examples, uh, the CIA, the EPA, uh, all of those, all of them, I gave you three, but those are the, those are the, the examples, uh, of the, the independent executive agencies, which we already talked about. Uh, the 22nd Amendment is number 13. And so the 22nd Amendment, I think I really stumbled through my words there. Um, this is the one where it limits the president to two terms or 10 years. So uh, remember after, after FDR ran four times and won four times, Congress was like, we got to stop that. And so they came up with the 22nd Amendment. It says you can only serve two terms or 10 years. Remember the whole 10-year thing? It depends on when you take over as vice president. If you take over with less than two years remaining, all right, so less than two years, that does not count as a term. If you take over with more than two years, then it, that counts as a term. 
so that's how you can get the potential for 10 years. All right, before we go into 14, let's take a quick break. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome back. All right. So number 14 is the House Rules Committee. Now, this is one of the few committees you really got to know and concentrate on as a specific committee. All right. So we've, we've dealt with kind of broad topics of the types of committees. The House Rules Committee is the, the big one. All right. It's the specific one that you really got to know and understand. And it's all on the House side. So if you're ever having to write something about the committees, please don't write the Senate Rules Committee because there's no such thing. Alrighty, uh, the House Rules Committee. Remember, this is sometimes called the traffic cop because every bill, once it finishes off its committee, so it, so here's Bill House Bill Two, uh, and it got out of its regular standing committee and it's now ready for debate. It's got to go to the Rules Committee, and they're the ones that are going to set all those conditions that we we've talked about before. Uh, how long it can be debated on the House floor, when it's going to be debated, will there be amendments and things like that. So they get to set all the rules. That's why they're the rules committee uh, for these bills uh, for debate. And so that's why it's such a big, big deal, because they can really, you know, let's put this thing at the end of the session when everybody's ready to get out of here. Uh, let's not give it any debate time. So they can do a lot of things to <clears throat> a bill uh, to make it pass and not pass on the House side. All right, 15, who do presidents nominate as judges? All right, and so on this question, there's going to be a, a, some data, uh, and really you're just going to interpret the data, and I think it's a pretty simple question. Uh, but there's no, there's no real, hey, here's qualifications uh, for a judge. Anybody can be a judge. I could be a judge right now if they wanted me. They don't, but I could be. Uh, 16, why are federal judge nominations so contentious? Uh, hopefully this is a pretty easy one for you. Uh, but it's because of those life terms, all right? Those individuals that are picked to be a federal judge, whether it's a district court judge, whether it's a Supreme Court judge, they are going to be there until they decide to resign, retire, resign, whatever it might be, or they die. They can be there uh, till the very, very end. And the problem with that is that these individuals are going to outlive the president that nominated them and they were appointed during, they're going to outlive their term. So these people that Trump put in all, put in to, on the bench, they're going to be there well past probably, you know, Trump will be dead before they, they leave. Biden, the person he put on there, is definitely going to outlive that guy, okay? Uh, and her, her term will definitely uh, outlive him. So you, you get to, you, your influence stays. And so that's why they're so contentious is that lifetime term, <clears throat> Uh, 17, divided government. All right. So we're fixing to move into divided government because the Republicans took back control of the House. So we will be divided um, and kind of officially because, you know, at the moment, the, the House and the Senate were controlled by um, by uh, the, the, the Democrats. Anyways, whatever. Uh, divided government is simply when uh, the Congress is one group. So Republican or Democrat and the president is the other. I apologize if you hear my dog in the background. He's, I don't know what he's doing. He's 
coffin. Anyways, um, so and, and like I said, it, it's you know, Congress. We're, we're going to be divided because the House and the Senate are going to be divided. So that'll be uh, divided government. Number eighteen, Fed seventy eight. All right, so there's a passage from Fed seventy eight. Okay, so. Uh, everybody's favorite thing to do on these tests is to read. Uh, if you're not, if you think, I, like I know for me, like I, I sometimes when I'm taking a test and I, I had to take a test uh, last year uh, for my, my, my degree that I'm trying to get. And sometimes you just run out of steam when you're reading. Now this, this passage is kind of early on in the test. It's number 18 and 19 that you'll have questions from, but if you're one of those ones that are like, uh, if it's at the end of the test, I'm just not going to be able to read, then my suggestion is to go through the test and do all the passages first. Read while you're you're fresh and you're strong and all that kind of stuff. Then go back and answer the rest of the questions. All right. Anyways, so you got a passage from Fed 78. Um, so the, uh, the idea behind... Fed 78 is um, about the courts. And I, I don't really think you have to know much about the court system to, to be able to interpret and answer the question from this passage. Okay. Because uh, it's going to ask um, just, it's going to ask you something specifically that's in, in there. I'm, I'm looking at it right now. And so I think you'll be able to pick it out if you'll take your time to read. But uh, anyways, just remember, you know, Hamilton's talking about the courts and the fact that they're weak because they can't enforce their own laws or their own decisions and things like that. Um, and uh, yeah, number 19 uh, is also from that passage, but it's going to be about judicial review. So remember that allows the courts to take a look at laws and deem them as constitutional or unconstitutional if they have been challenged. Okay, if they've not been challenged, the court does not get to do that. Uh, and that comes, remember, the old favorite Mar uh, Marbury versus Madison. Uh, I'm not going to go into detail about what happened there, but the court took the power of judicial review with that when they declared the Judiciary Act of 1789, I think, as unconstitutional. All right, number 20, bicameralism. And I probably say that incorrectly, so I apologize if that if that's if that's right or wrong or whatever it might be anyways uh what is the what is it it's just the two house legislature okay remember under the articles we had a one house legislature uh bicameralism just means we have two uh 21 the cloture so that is what ends the uh filibuster so you remember you can always make a motion a cloture motion if someone is up there talking and trying to talk a bill to death um if you make a cloture motion, it's asking what everybody else thinks. Can we stop debate? Have we talked long enough about this thing? And can we just vote on it? You need 60 people to say yes. So it's a pretty big number to get to. It's not easy. This is why 60 is considered a supermajority because you really can freeze the minority party out. Uh, right now, it's still an option for the Republicans. They'll be down uh, 50 to 49. I don't know if y'all saw the news. It was just just recently one of the senators from Arizona who was a Democrat, Kristen Cinema might be her name. She has removed herself from the Democratic Party and she's going to be independent. So they stopped having the 
the 51-49, now it's 50-49. to 49. Still a big deal to have that majority because you know, this past session was 50-50, and so they had to split the committees down the down that. Now, with the Democrats having the majority, they'll have the full uh, majority on the, on the, uh, the, what are those things called? The committees now and not have a, uh, not have a, a split. All right. 22 is about log rolling. Pretty simple log rolling is just the favors that they do for each other. So Congressman A says, I need this. Congressman B says, well, you know what? If you'll do that, do this for me, then I'll do help you out with that. Uh, so it's just the favors. Okay. And I, I told you the story of uh, what's his name, Lyndon Johnson, needing the Civil Rights Act to pass and how he went about getting that with some log rolling uh, with the Republican Congress people. All right. 23 uh, is the, our iron, iron Triangle. And it's something we did and talked about uh, in different spots. We talked about with interest groups. We talked about with bureaucracy. We talked about it with uh, Congress. And remember, the Iron Triangle is just the relationship between the interest groups, the committees of Congress and the bureaucracy, okay? And it's the, the stuff they do for each other or the watchdog stuff they do on each other um, is all the Iron Triangle is. 24, why do Congress and the president often clash? So they don't always get along, even when they're from the same party sometimes, they don't always get along, okay? And I think the biggest thing to remember and one of the problems that, that people run into for, for Congress and the, and the president here is think about who they represent. All right. Congress. And if you're talking about a house member, they have a very, very small district in comparison to everything else. Okay. You have a Senate or senators that represent a, a state. You have the president who represents all those people. Okay. And so it gets into some, some troubles and some differences there when uh, you as a House member have to be worried about what just your constituents want and the president has to be worried about what the entire country wants. So there is some problems and issues there. 25, congressional leadership and what does each role do? Okay, so um, I'm going to try and keep this as fast as I possibly can. <laughs> So let, we're going to do the, the quick version. Uh, let's do the House first. All right. The House, you have the Speaker of the House. The uh, Speaker of the House is probably the most powerful position in all of, all of Congress, not just the House, but both sides, because they get to control the whole House. They drive the agenda. They take part in almost everything they want to. They help with the, the, uh, the committees. They Who's going to be on what committee? All right. Uh, they work closely with the Rules Committee. Um, they get to control the, they get to drive the agenda, uh, make decisions about when things that are passed in the house are going to go over to the Senate. Just a lot of things. Okay. Uh, then you've got the majority leader who is basically the right-hand person of the speaker. Now they're going to work closely with the, the, uh, the speaker uh, on all those things that the speaker does. They're also going to be kind of the liaison, is that the right word, uh, between kind of the rank and file members of the party and the speaker. And so they're going to kind of keep them abreast of what's going on. Uh, then you've got the minority leader. The minority leader on the House side really can't do much. They really have no power because uh, the, you know, as the, the majority leader, uh, you, you have some power because your party drives the agenda. 
the minority party, they don't have the filibuster. They don't have those kind of tools and, and uh, things at their disposal to try and fight the majority party. So the minority party leader really just, hey, I'm the face, and we're going to wait until we take back control, basically is what they do. Now, both uh, majority party and minority party have the whip. They're also both House and Senate, and they do the same thing. Uh, the whips are going to be the ones that are going to work with the, the majority leader and the speaker, okay, uh, to try and keep every other congressperson uh, from that party in line. So vote with us, do this, do that. Um, you know, they're going to be the ones that try and make sure everybody's voting the way they're supposed to. All right. On the Senate side, you have the president pro tempore, who is really just a figurehead because the vice president is the real president of the Senate. Okay. Um, but they don't, they're not, they're never there. So they don't run it. The leader of the Senate is the House majority, excuse me, is the Senate majority leader. All right, right now it's Chuck Schumer. Um, so they get to drive kind of the, their agenda. However, they're supposed to work closely with the minority leader, who is uh, Mitch McConnell right now. Um, and they're supposed to, to, to work and, and be very, you know, good to each other, nice to each other. Uh, it doesn't always happen that way, but that's kind of how they're supposed to be. Okay. Uh, and then you get the whips who do the same thing on the House side as the Senate side. 26, the vice president in the Constitution. So they have really one job according to the Constitution, and that is to be the president of the Senate. All right. And they're never there. So that's why I can do that job. All right, guys, let's take another quick break. All right, guys, welcome back. So the next section, uh, or the next number is 27, and that is going to be Fed 70. Uh, there is a passage for Fed 70, uh, and it deals with uh, 27, 28, and I think 29. Uh, let me check on that, but I think it deals with uh, all three of those. So the passage is Fed 70. And remember, in Fed 70, this is the one where Hamilton is arguing for that single strong executive. All right, and so that is... The, the argument in Fed 70 is all about the fact that we need one person. We need an individual that is strong, that is energetic, and can take control and do all this stuff. Uh, we don't need a, a tribunal. We don't need a council. We need one person. Uh, 28 says to why justify or why justify a strong executive branch. Um, and so... Since this is since that question is tied to Fed 70, remember that the Federalist Papers were all written to try and get support for the Constitution. And remember, back then, one of the fears and the reason really people were so against a single leader was because that's what the king had been. And so there was this fear uh, of the people that uh, they would get just a, a redo if they had an individual. So in this, Hamilton is right about how they won't do that. Okay. <clears throat> 29. Uh, how is the presidency different today than the vision of the frameworks? All right. Uh, remember, and this one hopefully is pretty easy and pretty obvious to you, uh, but the presidency is much more powerful than the, the framers had ever anticipated. Remember, Congress was supposed to be the most powerful position or the most powerful branch, and they really just uh, they gave up a lot of their power. Uh, 30, 30, 30, all right, uh, the court packing. Uh, remember, there's no set number uh, 
for the judges uh, on the Supreme Court. And so uh, you can have as many people as you wanted to. We've been at nine since 1867, but we've been as low as five and we've been as high as 15. It just depends. Uh, but uh, I don't really anticipate there being any new judges added uh, to the Supreme Court anytime soon. Now, the test number 30 is a cartoon. So there's a cartoon to look at and interpret, but just uh, that's what but court packing is, is what it's kind of about. Uh, 31, executive orders. So don't get these confused with the executive agreements we talked about earlier. They are domestic. Okay, and executive orders are really just directives to the bureaucracy. And so that's why they're considered to have the force of law, because when the president tells the bureaucracy to do something, the bureaucracy does have some, you know, lawmaking or law enforcement potential. And so that's why they, they're taken so serious. Okay. Um, the president will use these typically when Congress is kind of at a standstill. So we could see more executive orders in President Biden's last two or next two years. I don't know if it'll be his last two years or not. Uh, but because we have a House that's from the from the Republican side and a, a Senate that's going to be Democrat, so there's not going to be much law making going on with those two kind of at uh, in charge. So you might see some more executive orders, but it's just directives. It's just a bureaucratic agency. I want you to do this. All right, thirty-two uh, gerrymandering. So this one, remember, gerrymandering happens when we do reapportionment, when we do redistricting. So all those things are supposed to happen. Re reapportionment happens every 10 years after the census. Remember, that's the, the moving of the, the numbers of the House members because there's 435 of them. That's the number. It's not going to go up. It's not going to go down. However, individual states' numbers can go up or go down based on the population. Movement. All right. When that happens, most states will redistrict as well. And that is redrawing the district whether they need to uh, or because they got a, a new person or because they lost a person. So they lost a district uh, or whether they stayed the same. But, hey, our population within the state has shifted. So they will redistrict. Now, that can lead to um, gerrymandering. And that's where you draw the lines. And remember, it's the state legislature that draws those lines uh, to benefit their party. OK, so once again, let me make it one more pitch before you, you leave me, um, state and local elections are super important, okay? Uh, whether you support, which, whichever party you support, you want your party to be in power when it comes to redistricting because they can draw the lines to really keep power uh, in with them um, for the, the next 10 years, and it does last for 10 years, all right? So we also talked about two court cases uh, that dealt with, with this. Remember, the, the first one, Baker versus Carr, was not a gerrymandering case. It was the redistricting one, and it's what led to the court looking at redistricted lines. The one that dealt with gerrymandering was Shaw versus Reno, okay? And Shaw versus Reno was the North Carolina case where um, the African-American uh, district was drawn, and it was really weird. And so there was a suit brought about that, and that's where you, you, it comes to... You can't draw lines down racial. You can't draw the district lines down racial lines. And that's where that comes from, Shaw versus Reno. Uh, all right, 33, congressional representation. So this is another one of those table questions. So uh, you'll see the House and you'll see the Senate, all right, uh, in the columns, and then you pick out the correct row. So um, 
talking about representation. So this is probably going to be who it represents. Remember, the House is going to be districts. And so they will have uh, the small little districts with 750 to 800,000 people. And the Senate has the entire state. 34, the State of the Union. No one's favorite time, especially not mine, because it always interrupts my favorite TV show, it feels like. Okay. Uh, there is a passage that you have to read. So you have to read a passage uh, for this. And, and just remember that the, the State of the Union is mandated by the Constitution. They have to, to give it. Uh, and it's basically supposed to be just to Congress. Hey, this is what's going on. Nowadays, since it's televised and the, and the president gets to use it as kind of a uh, sounding board to the American people, uh, he's going to really, you know, Biden, when he gives it in, in the next couple of months, is going to really push his new agenda uh, for the next year to the American people. And then finally, activism versus restraint. Another one of those table questions. Activism will be on one side. Restraint will be on the other. And you'll pick out the correct row. All right, where they have the both the correct thing. So activism, remember, this is the, the viewpoint that uh, the court, specifically the Supreme Court usually, uh, but it could be the lower courts as well, but the, the courts should take a active, this the activism, uh, role in making policy for the country. Okay, so their decisions should set policy. And so, you know, uh, Brown versus Board is a great example of this. Um, they, when they declared separate but equal as unconstitutional, they created a new policy for this country. They could have very easily just relied on the old Plessy versus Ferguson decision. Hey, we've already decided this. We we dealt with the whole uh, equal protection thing back in whatever year it was, and and that's what we set. We set the separate but equal policy back then. We're good to go. But they chose to overturn it. They made the right decision, obviously. OK, uh, versus restraint, where the court should be heavily reliant on the Constitution and precedent, and they should really leave it as is. And, they, you know, that's the, those old decisions. You shouldn't be overturning stuff. Um, you, you, you really just rely on the Constitution. Texas versus Johnson is a great example of this. Uh, that's the flag burning case we've talked about a few times in class. No one liked this decision. The, the American people, Congress, the president, no one liked the idea that burning the flag would be legal. Uh, however, the court, they didn't listen to them. They relied on the Constitution. The Constitution creates free speech and symbolic speech. And so they uh, ruled in favor of Johnson, and they overturned the, the Texas and the other state laws that had, had burnt bland. I dropped the pen. That had... Uh, been the burning the flag. All right, guys, that is the first part of the review. Uh, as always, ask questions to me. You can find me on Talking Points. You can uh, email me. You can find me on social media, or you can do this weird thing where you talk to me in class uh, and ask questions. Guys, I hope you have the best of luck uh, on all your final exams. Um, hope you make straight A's and all that kind of good stuff. And I, I hope you have a great winter break. And um, Let's uh, finish strong here with these last few days, uh, and I'll see you in class. All right, guys. Take care. Bye-bye.